This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello, it's Thursday the 26th of October. I'm Miranda Sawyer and my script's been written by AI robots. Thanks very much. Welcome back to Papercuts, the modern newspaper review, where we spend our days in a large and beautiful barn wearing several pairs of specs all at once so that we can do a repair shop job on the UK press. Watch out, Jay Blades. We've polished up the perfect newspaper and everyone's going to cry when we reveal it. We're out Monday to Friday for a full working week of joy. So why not subscribe or even become a Papercut supporter? Now, here are the headlines for today's show. When Harry left Daddy, <laughs> brand new newspaper reveals details of why Harry and Meghan left the UK. Conspiracies are us, 60 years of conspiracy theories and they're only getting wilder. And is there a doctor in the house? Can one bad review really kill off a play? Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, where we make a paper mountain out of a news molehill. Or is it the other way around? I'm Miranda Sawyer, and with me on the show today is host of the Way We Were podcast, which had a huge live show last night. How are you still standing, Grunya Maguire? Just the pure love of, of celebrity gossip. <laughs> it's just keeping me going, rushing through my veins. Great day. <laughs> also with us is housing Yimby and man about various towns, John Ellidge. Hello, John. Hello. I'm going to Bedford this afternoon. See, I knew you'd be doing somewhere. <laughs> so what do we have on the front pages today, John? What do we uh, have? So once again, very much continuing with the Middle East crisis as the main theme. The eye has paused bombs to allow aid, Israel urged. I think we've had that one before somehow. Yeah. The Telegraph, this is all in quotes. We are preparing for a ground invasion. Hamas is doomed above a massive picture of Benjamin Netanyahu. In some ways, more interesting is what's going on on the uh, the Mail and the Times. The Mail has Labour tearing itself apart on Israel, while the Times has Labour rift deepens over calls for Gaza ceasefire. It's like they've just resorted to their comfort zone because they don't know how to deal with this story. Mm. And just like, this is why I find a lot of foreign affairs discourse so upsetting is just people immediately plug it back into whatever argument they wanted to have anyway, which is generally about the Labour Party. Yeah, it's interesting that they're like domesticizing it, which I understand. Mm. So making it something that we can all relate to, but actually they're just turning it into an argument about the BBC or the Labour Party or something else, you know, the police. Yeah, yeah, the full horror of the situation in the Middle East right now is not what it means for Keir Starmer or the Director General of the BBC. These are not the top lines, and yet somehow newspapers kind of land on them quite a lot. Yeah. 
Okay, Grania, what do you have? So uh, the Guardian are covering uh, the situation in the Middle East. There are headline is fears of worsening humanitarian disaster in Gaza as fuel runs short. Then in the mirror, they have a story on Bulger killers parole bid in secret. So that's the news that James Bulger's killer, John Venables, will be given a secret parole hearing next month amid claims a public session could damage his mental health. Then the Sun is covering a story of poor Ed Sheeran. He had a very disturbed flight. Apparently there was an air rage incident on a flight that the nation's favourite redhead was on, but he's okay, he's fine. And then the Daily Star once again covering the big issues. Always. Too often overlooked. Mystic mugs. (laughs) Space boff shockingly claims that astrology is not very scientific. Unbelievable. (laughs) This is shocking. Astronomy versus astrology. Who's going to win? Astrology. It will always be astrology. Come on, get yourself. <laughs> They've got the crystals. They've got the crystals. Now, there's a new paper on the block, the Byline Times, a crowdfunded investigative publication that's been publishing online for a few years now, is actually available in shops for the first time today. And it's leading with a splash, a story that links the royal family to ex-son showbiz journalist Dan Wotton. You remember Dan. He was the one giggling at Lawrence Fox being horrible about Ava Santina on GB News. He's now suspended from GB News as well as having been sacked by the mail where he was working until recently. So let's talk about the Byline Times. John, what is it? So I actually think this is quite exciting. I am a freelance journalist, so I am biased because the more outlets there are, the more chance they have to (laughs) buy food and pay bills and stuff. But I mean, effectively, this is, as you say, it's not it's not really the launch today. It's been around for a while. But I think this is, as I understand it, this is they're in shops for the first time. You can actually go out and buy it. It's funded purely through, I mean, they describe themselves as crowdfunded. But what it actually means is it's just it's just readers buying it. That's where the money comes from. Um, as, as opposed to adverts. As opposed to advertising. And there's a, you know, there's a long history of, this is one of those ways in which, you know, people who talk about sinister conspiracy, capitalist conspiracy theories, which we may or may not be coming on to later, do kind of have a point that there have historically been newspapers that had, you know, big and thriving readerships that could not sustain themselves because they could not get the advertising in. So I think if you can fund a new newspaper based entirely through like readers paying for it, I think that I think that's actually a pretty great thing. And they do have some they do have some pretty good people working with them. Their political editor, uh, Adam Bienkov has been doing uh, very good investigative stuff for a number of years. Um, so, they've got Peter O'Bourne and they've got Bonnie Greer's writing for them. So there's like quite quite kind of heavy hitters are writing yeah, there for are, them. Yeah, there are real people. It's just like, there, I think there probably will be cynicism in some parts of the media, let's be honest, because there often is when something new launches. And also because the Byline Times doesn't really like the normal newspapers. So there no. is that. <laughs> which is, which, which is, I mean, it's to be really cynical about it. That is also sort of a business model, isn't it? Yeah. Like there's a lot of people out there who do not like the normal newspapers, but still fundamentally are interested in news and current affairs. So that's quite a nice spin. Yes, I get it. Okay, so look, let's look at the story. The story is quite complicated, but I feel like I'm I'm on top of it. And this is the story. Essentially, they seem to have linked Dan Wotton when he was working for The Sun as a showbiz journalist to a royal press secretary who's called Christian Jones. So essentially, Christian Jones worked within the royal family and he's denying that he and his partner 
partner are the source of various stories that got into the sun about Harry and Meghan. That's essentially the story. They've denied it for a long time and it was investigated by Simon Case, who you may remember is now the head of the civil service and being investigated in the COVID inquiry, but at the time was working for the royal household. He asked this fella, Christian Jones, are you the source of all these stories? He said, no, 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 I don't know, Dan Wharton. Case closed. And then since then, what the Byline Times have found is basically a picture of Christian Jones at a very small party hosted by Dan Wharton. And they've got a whistleblower, supposedly from the Sun's admin department, who has said that Jones' partner has been paid. There's an accounting code at the Sun, right? So it's a kind of more connections. <laughs> but interestingly, what uh, the partner has said that he was being paid for was stories about somebody in a soap opera whose name was a bit like Meghan Markle. Which Who, who's is that? <laughs> well, I, I've been thinking, the only one I can think of was Martine McCutcheon. <laughs> and that, that doesn't Martine seem McCutcheon's quite right. Martine run off of Prince Harry. <laughs> that, I mean, that would be a scoop, yeah. This it? is her moment. It really this is her perfect be. moment. <laughs> Enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, this, so the, it is quite a, you know, a detailed story that does seem to back it up. And the thing that's quite interesting about it is it slightly seems to back Harry up. So if you remember that Harry had various court cases earlier in this year where he seemed to say, look, the royal household have been briefing against me and this is the stories and nobody was really interested but there is an aspect to this story in the Byline Times that backs him up. So what this is, is that Prince Harry put Christian Jones's name on a letter of before action he sent to the Sun. So he's saying, this guy has leaked the stories, right? The royal family are really worried that they're going to end up in a court case with Dan Wooten <laughs> on one side and this guy, Christian Jones, who works in the royal household on the other Right. So they are really freaking out about this. They say, don't name Christian Jones, don't name him. And this is backed up. And Harry says, no, no, I'm going to name him. I'm going to go ahead. And so the Byline Times argues Prince Charles withdrew all the money that he was going to give to Harry and Meghan when they set up in Canada and they had to therefore break from the royal family. So it caused Megxit. Have you followed? Yes, that was amazing. I'm really <laughs> impressed you've taken on that much information about like. <laughs> So it is quite interesting. I have to say yeah. it is quite interesting. It's very complicated. But essentially what they're saying is this connection between Dan Wharton and the royal and the royal household eventually caused Megxit. I just think it's fascinating because it's all about branding. I think that's all it is. It's all about branding. And the royal family basically is a publicly owned Kardashians. That's all they are. They're just <laughs> Kardashians with better branding. That's all it is. They're no different. They're just rich people who go out and do stuff to for the public's amusement. And I think their link with Dan Wooden, it's like making the subtext text. It's so obvious that they're like, we're not magical people. We're not, you know, given this this throne by God because we're better than everybody. We're celebrities. So, of course, we will be having uh, an interaction with celebrity journalists because that's all we are. We're just celebrities. So, I think it's it's fascinating. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now, on the front of The Guardian, there's a headline about a piece inside the paper. 60 years of conspiracy theories. What fun. Except it's not that much fun because it's The Guardian. (laughs) So I have some views about the 60 years thing, which I'm going to force upon you whether you like it or not. Okay, that's fine. But look, actually, what we realised was we were hoping for the top 60 conspiracy theories ever. (laughs) But of course, we didn't get that. We got a long, well-argued thesis about how the assassination of JFK was the starter gun for the conspiracy theory mess we find ourselves in today. It's very Guardian. It's good, but it's very Guardian. So let's change it up. Grania, what's your favourite conspiracy theory? (laughs) Well, so first of all, here's my favourite sort of conspiracy theory fact, which I think is so interesting. So apparently you can date the first sort of sightings of UFOs with the, the development of the atomic bomb. So even Roswell was that area in Roswell, area... I'm so bad at numbers. Area 52. Area 51. Area 51, close. That was where... Area 52's <laughs> next door. <laughs> Manufacturing the little ETs. <laughs> That's where Amazon dropped the packages for Area 51. Uh, but that was where they did the testing for the atomic bomb. So apparently, it just uh, us as, as human beings, the whole idea that we could alter, we could like destroy ourselves just shifted our consciousness that the only way we could sort of visualise it was by projecting it into these aliens coming from above. So I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just sitting here bursting to get involved because <laughs> I've literally <laughs> written half a book. You. I've co-written a book about conspiracy theories called Conspiracy, A History of Bollocks Theories and How Not to Fall for Them, uh, <laughs> alongside my, my uh, gorgeous literary life partner, Tom Phillips. <laughs> but obviously we covered a lot of this stuff in, in that. Uh, I wrote much of the Aliens chapter. And one of the things I found interesting about researching this is... People have been seeing weird shit in the sky for the whole of history. Like there's, mm. there's like you know there is what sounds like a space battle above Nuremberg in like the 1560s or something. But nobody thinks it's aliens. People think it's like you know God doing something. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't that it's like most like, religions? Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's clearly like atmospheric stuff that goes on that sometimes people go, "Well, that's a bit weird." But it's only with the invention of first human flight and then, as you say, the atomic bomb that people start thinking it's aliens. It's like there's a. It, it is literally that you know once we know that death can rain down from the sky, we start imagining there is someone up there. It's so like that, and this sort of thing explains a lot of conspiracy theories. It is. It is kind of like. It is the mind's attempt to sort of fill the sort of the gap. So, like, the reason we're talking about, you know, the reason they're saying 60 years is because JFK was shot 60 years ago. There is kind of a gap in in sort of uh, scale between cause and effect because, you know, JFK was shot by one lunatic with a gun. But it's this massive national trauma. So one lunatic with a gun doesn't Isn't feel, enough. It's no. not enough. Mm. So you need to rebalance the scale. So people start thinking, oh, it must be the CIA. It must be Russia. It must be Cuba. Because that's the only way of kind of, you know, fitting in with like our, our assumption that causes and effects are in some way proportional. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always like nowadays, it seems to me that with conspiracy theories, it's always like this massive event never happened. Like moon landings never happened. 911, no. Sandy Hook is all like actors. Or it did happen, but it was organised by the Illuminati for some kind of dark reason. And that's like Diana, the Diana in the car crash that was organised by Prince Philip and the Illuminati. Do you know who the Illuminati were? Well, it's Beyonce, isn't it? The Illuminati were actually an 18th century Bavarian book group. (laughs) 
<laughs> founded by a guy called Adam Weishaupt, who just wanted to get some clever people in a room. And because secret societies were all the rage and it kind of it's a way of getting membership, you pretend it's secret, you pretend it's, you know, you pretend it's not really happening. And this was just before the French Revolution. So it only lasted about 10 years. It was it was suppressed by the state because, you know, 18th century Bavaria, not big on liberal discussion of things. But like when the French Revolution happened and someone was like, well, you know, this can't just be the people rising up. It's like, who could be behind it? There's some links to this suspicious organization that's been (laughs) doing some stuff in Bavaria. And that was 240 years ago or something. And they're still getting the blame for everything. It's great. I love it. Now, as we all know, paper cuts and great headlines are made for each other. We love them short, we love them silly, we love them slightly irrelevant, but with a decent pun about a well-known pop song. Do we have any good ones today? So, in The Sun, they have an exclusive story about um, <laughs> Olympic no-hoper Eddie the Eagle Edwards, who uh, we'll remember. Yeah, we love ski him. Ski jumper from the yeah. 80s, he was rubbish. Yeah, big glasses. Uh, so, so, obviously became a national hero. Uh, apparently, he's going to be doing the next season of Dancing on Ice. Anyway, the headline is, Cold and Eagle. Very good. Cold That's actually eagle. all right. I That's quite like all right, that. yeah. It, t- it took me a second, because I'm <laughs> first thing in the morning. I was more happy he's still alive. He's <laughs> <laughs> only 59. <laughs> right. And still sporty. So in the Daily Star, it's the story about residents of a rural village are under siege from snails. Things have got so bad, they've started eating letters in post boxes. Headline is snail mail. Do you think they've got mixed up between letters and lettuce? Do you think they can read? (laughs) They love a pun. Yeah, they they love love wordplay. They love (laughs) wordplay. And then also in the Daily Star, some car owners are so lazy, they only clean the cars once every three months. The headline is, Slobby Drivers Torque Dirty. As in T-O-R-Q-U-E. That's rubbish. I don't drive, so that is, is that a... It's a, it's a kind of car term, but it's only a term that applies to like really, really fast cars. Not like your own car. Like, what's the torque? I mean, that's just <laughs> rubbish. Anyway, I don't wash my car more often than that, I have to say so. I am talking dirty. Now, beneath the wise-cracking, tough-guy armour of the outside of the papers is the marshmallow soft heart. All you have to do is stop them banging on about war and football and they're up for a lovely chat about soft furnishings, fashionable trousers and cuddly puppies. OK, so, in The Times, we have found a really brilliantly savage one-star review... (laughs) by Clive Davis of a new play called Lioness that opened yesterday in London's West End, starring Kristen Scott Thomas and Lily James. OK, it's a great review. It's really horrible. Gronya. <laughs> Gronya, um, as a person who's had a few reviews in your time, what do you think about nasty reviews? I thought you were going to say, as somebody who's had terrible reviews. No, I have not. I would never say that because you have not. <laughs> It's so like as a as a stand up comedian, you go up every year to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and the best way I can describe it is you're like um you know one of those pageant babies, but you're both the pageant child and the you know the abusive stage mother. That's what it's the Fringe Festival is like, and you're there to try and sell tickets, and part of that is to get reviewers in. If you get a good review, you'll sell it. Your your run, you'll do well. 
So face. <laughs> oh my god, Gronya. <laughs> So painful because the thing is, especially so with the actors in this play, either they will know they've got a bad review because they will see it in people's eyes. Yeah. Going up to them, they'll be like, oh, uh, have you seen The Times? Or or they'll go up to them and go, "What? you know what? You're enjoying it. And that's all that matters. There's all these oh, codes. Oh, no, the sympathy's worse, isn't it? And the thing is, you can, it's not like a film or even a book, it's done, it's out there, they still have to keep performing in this play every night. And if you're in Edinburgh, if you see a review accidentally, whatever they say, every time you say that joke that they slagged off or do the bit that they said they hate, it's like a director's commentary in your head every time you have to do it. And the bad reviews, they're tattooed on your soul. Like I can tell you, I one of the earliest reviews I ever got was somebody said, yes, Grong is pleasant, but so is scratching my own arse. Whoa, that's not even worth <laughs> it. That doesn't make... work. Right, look, I'm going to say as a reviewer, <laughs> I'm going to stick up for reviewers. Um, and basically what I think is, you know, the point is that you're, you're, who you're reviewing for is the audience. Like you're reviewing for somebody who might come along. So there's only one review, I just have to say. There's only one review ever. And it is, it's all right if you like this kind of thing. That's the only review. <laughs> no, so you just have to write a different version of that. But I would like to slightly highlight this review in The Times because it is quite funny. And I think that Christian Scott Thomas and Lily James can take it because they're already famous yeah. and they're incredibly established. OK, so Clive Davis says, Very occasionally a play comes along that is so weirdly inept that you don't quite know how <laughs> oh to <God>. respond. <laughs> After nearly three hours of risible dialogue, you are left wondering how the principals ever got involved. I mean, it's 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 harsh. He's basically saying the play is bad. They're not bad. Yeah. But here we go. This is a great uh, paragraph. The script soon descends into chaos. Scott <laughs> Thomas exhibits no gift for comic tithing, but simply raises her voice and hopes for the best. Oh my <laughs> the long monologue where her character stands at a mic and recounts her tale is excruciating. James looks out of her depth throughout, mugging her way through one scene after another. Then again, is there much any actress can do with lines such as, my vagina is broken? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, he's pointing out that it's a bad play. Which is fair enough. And I think you're right that, like, it's... It, I think it is OK to write a review like this about someone of the career level of Kristen Scott Thomas yeah. or Lily James. If this if this was, like, some some kids doing their first Edinburgh show, no. I think that would be a bit different. Yeah, very much so. I think you can't do that. You can't do that about somebody just starting out. You really, really can't. But you can do it for them because... To be honest, what he's as as somebody in the audience, he's saying, "Look, you two are really great actors. What are you doing yeah. in this play?" But the interesting thing about it is, it always used to be that a critic could shut a play down. Do you know what I mean? Like it 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 could really mm. shut something down. And I don't know if that quite works now because in all the other papers, they're kind of giving it three star reviews because essentially they want an interview with Lily James. Yeah, they're never going to give it a one star. Also, people are going to go see it because it's got Kristen Scott Thomas and Lily James in. People will yeah. see it anyway. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I have to say, as someone who's I've not I've not done a huge amount of reviewing, but I've I've written a few, and what I've found is like you know slagging something off in an amusing way is actually quite easy. Mm. Like you know if you if you're if you write at all, like it is much easier to write a bad review than a good one. Like coming up with a way of compellingly explaining why something is good is actually far harder. Yeah, or me the problem problem is most things are quite good. Yeah. <laughs> so like a three-star review, oh my God, that is hard. In the star on page nine, there's a very important story about sexual relations with the headline, we like grumpy pumpy. 
Um, essentially, <laughs> what the research has found out is that being funny doesn't make any difference to whether people find somebody sexually attractive or not, which is pretty gutting. John, this is a very serious story, I feel. <laughs> yes, I mean... I don't know how to tell you guys. It says here, ugly guys have taken another hit. (laughs) (laughs) It just, it never ends for us, does it? (laughs) After boffins found being funny will not land you a lover. Um, Apparently psychologist Henry Wainwright from the University of Queensland quizzed 554 people aged 17 to 38. I have some questions about all of these numbers. They took part in 861 three-minute speed dates. uh, And apparently how much people laughed had fuck all to do with whether or not they're up for another de- up for another date i mean those numbers are really funny aren't they those numbers are just like any numbers what 554 people not 555 <laughs> it's I'm, just ridiculous i mean the, the the star says the star is furious about this by the way this is this is, this is the star's editorial column says sex is just a big joke it's not often we give the brain box community a double bashing <laughs> But we feel like we need to give them another ticking off with their latest research on data. They're so annoyed about this. Yeah. I, it does kind of, it does bring, you kind of get a sense of the sort of guys working at the start, don't you? <laughs> or the sort of readers they feel like they have. <laughs> that, that's possibly true as well. I mean, like, also, this is, we all know this is bollocks, right? Intuitively, this is this is bollocks. Like, and I mean, speed dating is a terrible yeah. idea. I mean, that just doesn't work. I mean, because you can't get... Three minutes isn't long enough to get a great joke in, really, yeah, unless you're yeah. Tim Vine. It doesn't work. You <laughs> can't get your props out. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you can't finish on a song. <laughs> what are they talking about? <laughs> but this story's also in T2. In yeah, Shane Watson has ta- written a piece. Taking a completely different line. Yeah. She, uh, so the headline here is dating advice from scientists. Don't trust it. And uh, there's a subhead in this one that just says, do make us laugh. Yeah. Of course we love funny men. Funny men as in men with a good sense of humour who can laugh at themselves, the important, and who are, above all, a bit silly. So there's yeah. still hope, guys. There is still hope. I really like this piece. Shane Watson, you know, she works hard. She writes great, uh, mm-hmm. she writes really good features. And one of the things that she says in this piece, which I really love. So she's essentially saying, look, these are the things that women find attractive in men. And she says things like, you know, if you're falling over when you're try, trying to take your trousers off, <laughs> you know, in order to have sex, that's much actually much sexier if you laugh yeah. at it rather than lying on be- on a bed being oiled and, po- and posing <laughs> about. But this is brilliant. <laughs> She says, what women like is men who are willing to chat about the rubbish of today's life. We find men attractive on a sliding scale, dependent on what they are prepared to talk about, including our hair, better or worse, and what voice the dog would have if it could talk. (laughs) This is right. I mean, you know, like you have to be able to talk about those kind of things or it's just, you know, there's no relationship. But I just think articles like this, I find them so frustrating because they always presume that men are, you know, these complex people and they've got personalities (laughs) and they're the funny ones. And women, we're just these passive sort of blinking dolls. And we go, yes, you have made me laugh. Now we will engage in sexual relations. (laughs) It's so mad. It's just so mad. I think there's a big difference between people who are funny and people who think they're funny. Yeah. There's a big difference. And of course, everybody likes people who are like fun to talk to. That's sort of like being human. But... I think there's a big difference then who people who think they're funny, who are like, oh, I can't get a girlfriend, even though I am so funny. I'm the funny. I'm like Chandler from Friends. Like, they're not people you want to be with. But then I don't know if you've got experience of this, but like professionally funny people are not always 
What Grandier is saying is that I'm married to somebody who used to be a stand-up. <laughs> <laughs> he is very funny, but he's also kind of grumpy. That's yeah. what happens. You know, people are complex. It's amazing. complicated. <laughs> Can I ask what voice your dog does? Yes, you can. The voice that the dog does, well, I think, well, it's a bit difficult, isn't it? Because my voice, the voice for the dog is like, I talk to the dog like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and then the dog goes, woof, 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 woof. what about yours? <laughs> oh, Henry Scampy started getting grumpy when he kind of got into his sort of teenage face. So we start doing like Kevin the Teenager. Nobody loves me. Nobody takes me off walks. See, exactly. Mm. They all have voices. It's very important. And that's the end of today's paper cut. Thanks to John. Thank you. And thanks to Gronya. Thank you. If you'd like to hear about how Gen Z, Gen Z, has gone off sex, and why would you not? Then why not join our paper cut supporters club? You get a hidden extra story every day. Just follow the show notes to back.papercutshow.com to find out more. And our wonderful supporters get a special shout out on the show. Here are some now. It's hello from me to Graham L. Haywood. The L stands for lovely. Of course. <laughs> Hi, and wow, you are looking hot. A big thank you to Neil Postlethwaite. Hello, and that colour looks fantastic on you, Laura Hussey. I've been Miranda Sawyer, and you've been listening to Papercuts on a day when The Guardian reveals that the Swedish have finally finished their official Swedish dictionary after 140 years. <laughs> <laughs> Tardin Javletid, which means take your fucking time. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Papercuts was written and presented by Miranda Sawyer with John Ellidge and Gronia Maguire. The producer was Liam Tate. The assistant producer was Adam Wright. And the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. Music is by Simon Williams. Socials by Jess Harpen. Design by Jim Parrott. And original art by Modern Toss. The executive producer is Martin Boytosh. Managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, and the group editor is Andrew Harrison. Papercuts is a Podmasters production. 